I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandslots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm creative producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV Awards editor Libby Hill and TV deputy editor Ben Travers. Today... Kind of a grab bag episode. We're going to talk about some of the biggest things that are happening in the news today, but also just 2020 in general. And then 2021, what we're excited about, potentially. Yeah, I love it. It sounds great. It is millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show. Jumping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from this past week. I'm not even sure if both finales happened last week. If time time has no meaning, but both The Flight Attendant and The Mandalorian ended their respective seasons last week. Ben! Yeah? What do you think of these finales? Oh, you know, I'm going to start with the good one. Uh, let's... <laughs> Also, spoiler attendant. alert! Spoiler alert for anyone listening. Uh, I'm not going to spoil the flight attendant. I okay. honestly don't know if I could, though. I would argue that the HBO Max press release that announced the second season did kind of somewhat spoil a little bit of what my biggest question was about the series, which was a: would it continue on as kind of an anthology concept, or b: would it just kind of easily transition into an ongoing series and uh i guess spoiler alert the answer is b it is going to be an ongoing series uh where cassie bowden the uh titular flight attendant played by kaylee kyoko is that correct did i i didn't watch big bang theory i don't know great I don't, think they, I don't think they said her name on Big Bang no, Theory. No, well, yeah, but if you follow yeah, the show, the you would have read something about her and there would have been interviews and you would have been in tune and you would have been aware, I would think, just like I know that uh, Matthew Perry's name is pronounced Matthew Perry. Like, there's no mystery there. It's Matthew Perry. I watched a lot of Friends. I figured it out. The flight attendant, much to my surprise, uh, was quite a good show, like through and through, from beginning to end. I... Never doubted that it would be, it could be an entertaining show. But one of the things that I struggled with, even as I was reviewing the first four or five episodes, I can't remember what they gave me, was whether or not this kind of very uh, out there mystery, murder mystery, that's kind of realistic, kind of far-fetched, kind of uh, like just blending a lot of different genres. Um, I mean, it has a literal fantasy element where she just goes inside of her head to talk to the guy who died like over and over and over again. And it's very clear that he's a manifestation of her subconscious and yet she's falling in love with him. And they kind of try to explain that at the end of the show. And you're all of these are big trigger warnings where you're just like, I don't think this seems like there's a lot, maybe too much going on. And yet somehow uh, they landed the plane safely, uh, convincingly made me want to get on a return flight. All of the uh, terrible, so many puns, terrible puns uh, that you can come up with. Um, but it, it really did work. And, uh, Kaylee is, is very smart about choosing her roles, especially post big bang theory. It, it, it 
this was something that she, you know, helped originate as a producer. Um, she, you know, this is kind of tailor made for her strengths, and yet she got to stretch a little bit outside of her, you know, most well known character from Big Bang. Um, and she's really good. She's really good in it. Uh, the supporting cast was very strong, and it was a lot of fun. And I know you both have seen it and love it and are on board. So congratulations. It's very exciting. If I have one uh, nitpick or kvetch about the, the flight attendant, it's that I wish the rules of her, like, brain uh, museum, or whatever the term from Sherlock is, whatever he calls his memory like, palace his memory palace yeah but the rules the rules of her sort of going into that hotel room and having conversations with the the dead man are i wish they were better established and because she just does it whenever she needs it and it's all a little too convenient <laughs> to be like uh like i need this password for this computer oh let me go to this hotel room yeah, the the password's right there okay cool i glad that was in the back of my mind and i wish it was more like source code or something where like she had to sort of like relive this scene over and over again and figure it out. Interesting. I think that's the first time anyone's ever said they wanted something to be more like Source Coach. <laughs> the other finale, I don't know if we can talk about this without talking about spoilers. Sure we can. Oh, yeah. Guess. We can? Yeah, it's the, fine. The Mandalorian. And then it's second season, delivering Baby Yoda where he had to go? We don't know. Who knows? <laughs> uh, Pedro Pascal, the Mandalorian needed to do something with baby yoda and he made a lot of friends along the way listen yeah to do the same thing with baby yoda that he had to do at the start of the season like none of his objectives had changed it wasn't other than like one guy was kind of in the way i guess but it wasn't rescuing baby yoda it was the friends we made along the way (laughs) that's what the mandalorian's about that's the way that's the way they keep speaking about in the mandalorian it's the friends you make along the way Ben, I don't know if you want to speak to how much you want to speak to the Mandalorian. Uh, we talked a little bit about it before we started recording, but you, you sort of mentioned that like the the primary issue with, with the Mandalorian is that the objective really didn't ever change over the course of uh, sixteen episodes, and then there was a cliffhanger that sort of or or a finale that sort of maybe undercuts everything that came before it. I mean, I mean, yeah, that's that's essentially that's essentially it. Um, I would say from from my point of view and what I, f- I do feel like is um, an increasingly popular or uh, unwanted yet pressing point of view, the problem with The Mandalorian has been separating the epic sci-fi imaginative journey that you'd take through Star Wars and that kids have always had and we've you know established when we were kids when we watched Star Wars and um, you know that kind of mind-blowing, we've never seen anything like this, let's get lost in it version of the narrative with the Disney is trying to make as much money off of this as humanly possible. Uh, Every choice is motivated by money. Every choice uh, is trying to sell you a toy or to build on an expansion or to start another thing. And um, again, like as we talked about at the start of this and as has been noted elsewhere, my biggest problem with the Mandalorian is that it does not fulfill the first part of it that often. Uh, even though it is built to be kind of an episodic entertainment spectacle where the thing that drives you to keep watching is just being like, wow, I can't believe I just saw that happen on TV. Timothy Oliphant looks so hot. I will tune in next week to see what other hot person shows up. Maybe it will be Pedro Pascal if he takes off his mask. Probably not. I don't think that that is enough. Like, I don't think that that's they're, they're not using that kind of episodic storytelling to get you lost in anything so much as they're just stalling 
because they don't want to, they don't really have a big story to tell. They're not really, you know, on a mission to save the galaxy or to do anything as grand as the original trilogy or even the second trilogy. Um, the stakes aren't quite as high. They're supposed to be more personal because this is uh, essentially a father-son story. And yet all of the personal elements are negated because it's a, a puppet and a faceless robot figure uh, trying to connect in very sporadic moments between giant action piece uh, action set action set pieces. But again, like the the finale to me is such a, a frustrating illustration of the problems with this because not only does do all of those flaws still exist, but the ending that we're given, the thing that's supposed to push us forward into season three, the thing that's supposed to you know, sustain interest in the series and, you know, build a, an expanded narrative does the exact opposite. It shrinks things. It could possibly work as, as like a series finale if they really it, wanted it to. It, um, felt, it felt like a series finale. It felt like the Mandalorian has completed his objective. There is nothing else for him to do. Number one, like, spoilers. Number two, how do you know this? I thought you were watching with your wife and like hadn't seen it yet. Someone watched. Oh my God. <laughs> it's just crazy to me, even looking at it from a financial standpoint, from Disney needs to make as much money as it possibly can, that they would use an ending like this, which essentially pigeonholes this story within so many other stories, instead of allowing it to branch out and expand. They're, they're instead basically saying, this one is going to fit into the universe as it already exists, and it's just going to be a puzzle piece stuck right here. Uh, and then we're just going to add to the puzzle with other shows instead of letting the show that's already proven itself successful to do that for you. And yeah, it's just to me, it's it's a mistaken business model. It's obviously a bad narrative. Um, so I just I, it just was very frustrating to watch that transpire. And that is all of the things I can say about it without getting into spoiler territory where other problems exist. The thing about the Mandalorian that was always the problem, and I think Ben articulated this very well, is that we always knew it was going to be trapped in that pre-existing universe. I mean... Um, because because of where it was stuck in the timeline. Right. And because of who, you know, it was hinted about would make an appearance eventually, uh, another Mandalorian mm -hmm. that they needed to spin off into their own series. And uh, yeah, like it, it, this feels so much like a launch pad for like like you said, other series, but also it's just not fun. Like, I think it's created to give people an opportunity to be in the Star Wars universe every week. And I just don't care about that. I don't, they have sapped all of the fun from the Star Wars universe. They've made it such a small cloistered world. Um, and it's a, it's fucking, it's a fucking galaxy. Uh, like, I, I don't know. I don't know how you make a galaxy that claustrophobic, but they've accomplished it. <laughs> And the idea that they want to give me more, it's just, it's just not fun to me. It's very boring. It's very dull. And this, this is literally coming from a woman who in her parents' basement still has a bunch of Star Wars extended universe novelizations. So yeah, I don't know. You, you are, you are me. the quote unquote target audience and you are disinterested by what's going oh, on God, in the current uh, Star Wars uh, ECU. And I think the Mandalorian seemed like it could have been a nice fresh start. Like, I think I know Ben didn't enjoy the first season that much, but I, I did. I thought like it narratively sort of worked as like some weird, like Quixote and Sancho Panza with it, it's strange. 
And like, if it is just like this weird spaghetti western with a baby, have Jesus it be Christ, that. That's such a great comparison. Like, but why is he not a TV critic? What's he wasting well, he his time with us? He writes today? reviews all the time. Like, that's true. He should have done the Mandalorian review. Look, I said it. Probably. I, I would have. I would have. Here's the thing. This whole. I stopped watching this season after three episodes because it felt like we were getting the same regurgitated plot uh, every episode, which was like ships broke, need part. Uh, we'll give you this part as long as you kill this thing. Kill the thing. Here's the part. Ships broke. <laughs> and then you start on a different, you go planet to planet, which is, I think that's a show for maybe somebody, but like, it's like, it kept doing the same thing episode to episode to episode. I did appreciate the payoff for the repeated broke down ships like that. That was, it's not worth, it doesn't justify how many times they were like, well, ships broke. That's got to get us over here. But it. I think if you're doing a ship's broke thing, as opposed to the ship broke having to be why you do the thing you do, I like to continue to come back to Amy Sedaris and being like, our ship's screwed. Like, if you have to, if you have to show up every episode and be like, I'm sorry. And she's like, what'd you do? And like, she has to fix it. And then you have to go do another mission and it comes back in worse shape than it was before. But the idea that like he's on a trajectory and he's getting waylaid right. by the same thing over and over again, that that's sort of where the issue and the, the sort of weariness from season two came in. I, like there was there was a fatigue that set in because it was just, I feel like I saw the same show three weeks in a row. And I was like, I can't, I don't know if I want to watch a fourth episode that does the same thing. It's fine if you are making Bonanza, so long as you know you're making Bonanza. Yes. Like if, if you know that you're, it, it's basically the same setup every week that's fine but like know that and and own that and especially I, I really like your pitch for it because they have long established within this universe how much people ships like mean to them or mean to other people you have the whole like millennium falcon thing with uh lando and and han and chewy and like they they love that ship so much and it's a broken down you know bucket of parts and you know you could there there's plenty there to have it seeded into sort of the history of of the series so if you are constantly uh beating up your ship like yeah. someone might take very huge offense at that yeah i might be I mapping hate... too much onto it but like i definitely like yeah, from the from from the jump i thought like oh this could be like star wars is firefly but that's not what it was and especially with the way the season two wraps up it is decidedly not that and season two was sort of gross in its commercialism of like this is now a launching pad for at least two other shows. Enjoy these two other shows. Let's see how it connects to any of our other movie projects that we have going forward. And also- Every episode can't be a backdoor pilot yeah. for something else. Like that's just, you can't- We all we all know what happened when they launched Empty Nest from the Golden Girls. You can't do that. It was fine. Empty Nest was great. I watched- Empty Nest, Empty Nest was great. Empty I mean, that's was not great. a great example. Well, Ben, to begin, or to end 2020 the way we began it with a Stephen King adaptation that has a the at the beginning of it. Did what can you, you tell us review? about The Stand? Did you read my review? Is that where that segue not. came from? Because that was beautiful. I did not read your review. I don't read. That's why I can't, that's why I can't write reviews for the site because I, I can barely put a sentence together. But you have written reviews and they're great. You've, you're doing wonderful. They're extremely long too, which makes me so happy. Uh, but Ben, I did not read your review because I can't read. <laughs> what can you tell us about The Stand? No spoilers. No Randall Flagg spoilers here. I, I mean, first of all, I feel like anybody who is invested in this show, and there's clearly quite a few people who are, um, 
or I should say in the story, are already well familiar with uh, whatever spoilers I could give you, even though apparently Stephen King has written a new ending for this. God knows why. But I, I do think that the way that you've introduced this conversation is kind of the best way to frame any conversation about The Stand in that when this year began, I railed on this podcast about how terrible a book The Outsider is, which I uh, made into a theme somehow throughout 2020 by regularly revisiting that rant. Um, So I won't do it again. But adapting that and turning it into a show that I found at least watchable, if not sometimes convincing in its arguments, that's an incredible feat. And I admire them taking that starting point and turning into what it is the stand however is a book that is uh beloved it's been called one of the greatest novels ever written uh it was uh rewritten you know like year like a decade after it it originally published as a longer version that people regarded as better so like there's all of these things going into the an adaptation of the stand where it's like listen the thing you're starting with is great so you've got that and then so you know just when you're adapting it what you need is time because it's a 1200 word novel or something insane like that they have completely botched whatever was at the essence of the original work in this cbs all access adaptation and i i say that in in both their kind of attempts to rectify the length issue as well as the casting as well as the tone like just about everything that you could do to kind of screw it up they've done and you can see kind of the logic in some of the decisions they make. Most importantly, to me at least, is this is a, this is a story that's about a global pandemic that is uh, very, very deadly. It actually kills, I think, 99%, more than 99% of the people who succumb to it, thus resulting in kind of a new world order where half the remaining populace are drawn to uh, an old black woman they see in their dreams who may or may not be talking to God. And they meet her outside of Boulder, Colorado, and they try to live a good life. And the other half are drawn to uh, a terrible, awful, very bad human being played by Alexander Skarsgård, who lives in Vegas and turns Sin City into an actual city of sin, where there's bloody gladiatorial matches with chainsaws and orgies and casino lobbies and all of these generally frowned upon uh, social activities. If I um, break in here and say that it's really nice to see someone like fully embrace, uh, f- fully embrace their kind of pigeonhole, and I, I haven't seen anyone recently who who really has sunk his teeth into it like Alexander Skarsgård has, and uh, <laughs> and I just appreciate it. Like the dude knows his range, and I, for one, love it. I I will say that Alexander Skarsgård is probably the actor who comes off best in this entire thing um his hair is impossibly tall and the way that he walks as this kind of demon-like figure is strange and it's it's shot in a way that maximizes that strangeness for better or worse but um anyway the, the point being the pandemic is really just a, an excuse. Like in the book, it's just a way to get from from where we are currently uh, to, or where we were currently, however you want to look at it, to a point where there's, you know, very few people left on earth and we have to restart society. Like they want that kind of dispute to take place. They want the kind of natural good versus evil dynamic that exists in, in a lot of, you know, religious uh, adaptations and, and inspirations and, and et cetera. Um, 
So the way that in the show they try to get to that, the way they try to kind of move past the pandemic quickly to get to the essence of the story is by time jumping, where they start post-pandemic and people are kind of cleaning bodies out of houses to try to make room for for people to build a real community again. Um, And then they do a flashback to show how one of the people who's working to do that ended up in boulder colorado and you're like oh okay this is you know it's gonna cut through that in one episode we'll be done with it except they do it with every single character so they they do flashbacks every time they introduce a new character so you're going back in time again and then forward in time and then back in time and then forward in time and it takes i also like lost (laughs) i mean lost without the mystery like there's no like they don't they don't establish any reason for it beyond like this is how we're going to explain these characters and the problem is the characters are all 40 50 years old so they've become stereotypes where there's a uh, uh, washed up rock and roll star played by giovanna depo um who has a drug problem and uh james marston is a good old boy from texas who's literally just a good old boy from like he's just a good person like that's the all you need to know about him um there's i mean there's just so many kind of stereotypes that that weren't stereotypes at the time that have become stereotypes now including whoopi goldberg's uh magical negro character which is again unaltered just they're leaving it like it is which that that's a problem so like them spending all this time to try to give them backstory when there's nothing unique to say about them is is an issue the casting doesn't do them any favors where they'd have a lot of people playing people who don't quite fit exactly who they're supposed to be or can't kind of add nuance in, in efficient ways that need to be done because they don't have time to expand it. But then the other thing is when, when I look at it, the big argument with the stand and why they never made it into a movie was because they didn't have time. Like it, it would have been a, even a three hour movie wouldn't have been enough time. And for this, they're doing a nine hour series when they could have done 10 or 12 or even two seasons worth if they really needed the time to introduce every one of these characters and give them their proper due and make it more original and, and give you a reason to invest in them. And instead they're just like, no, we're still going to speed through this shit and give it to you in like a tight little compact story. Um, and it just undercuts everything they're trying to do. So long story short, the stand is one of the years more disappointing shows. Um, it bookends a year of Stephen King for me, at least uh, and for many TV viewers out there where I imagine a lot of them are asking the question that I think Leo posed when we were discussing topics, which is, how do you do a good, is it possible to do a good Stephen King adaptation? And obviously the answer is yes, there's plenty of great ones out there, but there are so many more that have been pretty bad. Well, this this Stephen King tangent, especially the way we started it, kind of brings us to a nice point here for the meet, which is what we're... What were some of your highlights of 2020 and what are you looking forward to in 2021? What was yours? Are you guys going to have the same one? Am I just going to be the odd <laughs> lad out again? Well, or- I, was just, I, I, I wasn't planning on going, but if I had to say something, Devs was my favorite show of the oh, year, yeah. uh, very early in the year. I was pleasantly surprised by how many comedies I actually enjoyed this year. Ted Lasso, Mythic Quest, What We Do in the Shadows. But... The one thing that was like a, is not up my alley at all, and I just enjoyed due to how well it was made was Normal People. Uh, yeah, no, great pick, Leo. I obviously love Normal People. Did not see that people. coming. Um, I'm sure that it was a a respite for a lot of viewers. I I feel for for my choices. I've obviously 
published a list of, of the top 10 shows of the year. Um, I've talked about it uh, too much. Um, I really, I mean, there's, there's obviously episodes and moments and, and even seasons that I would associate with this year, um, in particular, but I, I, I don't know why today just feels like a, a, a curb your enthusiasm kind of day to me. I, um, I really wasn't a huge fan of the, of the return season of season nine. I really didn't think that it quite gelled and throughout the start of season 10 i really had i really struggled with kind of with kind of getting on board with the 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 larry david uh mythology of it all like i i just it 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 was a lot to take in especially if i decided to watch two episodes at once um but it just slowly won me over and it really there were certain aspects of of not just what happened in curb your enthusiasm uh, and you know how that kind of rolled out over the start of the pandemic as well. Um, but the the kind of follow up surrounding Larry David in particular, like I will never forget that picture of him in the New York Times where he's just looking out his window with kind of like you know that expression on his face, like he's trapped indoors, but he's also kind of happy to be there, and he you know doesn't like what's going on, and like somebody's looking at him. But it just it just defined a lot of the of the confusion and annoyance and. Um, I guess some of the minor problems that so many of us dealt with while a lot of people were dealing with really major problems like this 2020 I've been extremely lucky like I I, everything in in uh in you know proper scope and and measure like I've been I'm healthy and my family's healthy and like that is unbelievably lucky and privileged and and wonderful and I I'm very thankful for that um, but you still have to, you know, deal with a lot of things and the anxiety and the fear and the protections and the uh, isolation and all of that. And you know, having comedy as a, a, a kind of relief and uh, even momentary joy within all of that stress was so rewarding. And there were plenty of really funny shows and really good shows, like what we do in the shadows, that obviously made the top ten. Um, and I don't think Curb is the best comedy of the year, but it it really did just strike at the right moment, and it really was something that I could revisit and find joy in as things continued. So uh, I guess today that's what I'm thankful for, and having seen a headline uh, that, that was about convincing Larry David to feel good about coming back to set to shoot another season uh i'm thankful that someone was able to do that because uh it'll be worth it you know it'll be it'll be good it's kind of funny like i didn't even think about phrasing the question this way but like with shelter in place the shows that i think are because you said you mentioned like shows being tied to 2020 the shows that like in my memory i will always know like i don't know if i'll think of like Maybe I'll think of Ted Lasso as, like, we watched at Shelter in Place or, like, I May Destroy You. But the shows that are linked so tightly to quarantine are going to be Tiger King, Love is Blind, and The Last Dance, for whatever reason. Because I think those are shows I might not, I might not have given energy to in any other, in any other environment other than I'm home all the time now. And so I can watch these things. I mean, Last Dance I probably would have watched, but, like those other two i don't know i'm not sure 
Yeah, I did it's really like, like the Superstore line where, um, oh, who's the warehouse worker? Marcus, who he got COVID early. So then he, he recovered and he was like trying to catch up with people as they went through 2020. Like the first episode does a, does like a time jump, like every, you know, couple of minutes to go through the, to catch us up a little bit. And he was so behind that he, he walked up to some, he walked up to people and he's like, Hey guys, Tiger King, I'm on episode three. Let's talk about it. I think she murdered him. And they just look at him and they're like, Oh man, I, we are over that. That was, that was months ago. And like, I think we're all a little embarrassed that we were even into it in the first place. And it was like, it was just this very short, brief little thing, but it did perfectly and capture Tiger King. And like, I think there was, there was obviously the obsession and the fervor and we talked about it, but I think it very quickly, more quickly than uh, a lot of people maybe even realized was it, it turned into more of an embarrassment that we were well, like, that that was the thing. Yeah. It was one of those things where, uh, it, you know, it's, it's, it's like the people who are like, well, I can't be held accountable. I was drunk. It's like, Oh, well I was, this, this is my first weeks in quarantine. Like I can't be accountable for the shit that I wasted 10 hours on because I suddenly had 10 hours. I never would have had before. Yeah. Uh, definitely been ignoring both of you while you were talking. Um, to figure out what my answer to this question was. Um, and there have been things that I've talked about a lot on the podcast. You know, I've, I, I talked a lot about Babylon Berlin and I talked about um, Babylon Berlin and then Hannibal for some reason. No. So, but I have to say that I'm going to kind of go with a genre of TV that felt like it really had its moment this year, which is kind of um, shows about or for teenage girls. Um, not like, and not even the teenage girls age that are like Gossip Girl and 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 the CW shows, but definitely a, like a, maybe a step younger. Like I love Babysitter's Club. You all know how much I love Babysitter's Club. It was, it brought me a lot of joy this year, but so did- You kept, you uh, kept breaking embargo on Babysitter's Club. <laughs> They changed the embargo on me, yeah. so I never heard from Netflix. No, so, the, but the things like Babysitter's Club, things like Never Have I Ever, uh, also on Netflix, um, and, and, and things that are, that are even like, even Netflix's like Dash and Lily was very sweet for what it was. Um, it was very, it was very cotton candy and it had great music. <laughs> But also, I will lump in there uh, the first half of Pen15, the new Pen15 season, which has been released, which uh, really kind of got buried in the year that was 2020, but but deserves really all the accolades that you can you can heap upon it. Um, just one of the best comedies or one of the best shows on there right now. It felt good to see this often underrepresented um, group really really get some quality fare thrown their way. And I'm sure they love normal people too, because that guy sometimes did not wear a shirt. Usually just a chain, just a chain. What is everyone excited for in 2021? Nothing. Succession. Succession. You motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think we're all excited for succession, but. I think so too. I think so too. I'm I'm obviously very excited for Succession. I'm super excited for the next season of Atlanta, um, just because it's been so long that every time Atlanta comes back, it feels a little bit like a brand new show, but a brand new show that you know you're gonna love. I just need more Donald Glover in my life. I think Leah, do you have something you're? So I know I spent the early part of this episode uh, shit talking Disney Disney Plus for how they handled yeah. uh, the Mandalorian season two. 
But I would be lying if I didn't say I am not interested in WandaVision and uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier. They're very different things. I know that one of those is one of those Ben might enjoy. And one of those is the thing that Ben is going to hate with a a passion of a thousand sons. But I enjoy all the Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie moments over the course of the MCU whenever they are together in the Captain America movies. I don't know if they can sustain it over an entire series. It might get, unless the banter is incredibly well written, which I am uncertain about. But yeah, I'm excited for WandaVision and Falcon and Winter Soldier. They sh- I wish they had gotten like the, only because we're doing the rewatch, the writing writing room of happy endings to put together Falcon and Winter Soldier. It wouldn't be, it's not that much of a leap. Anthony and Joe Russo, executive producers on happy endings, directed the pilot in the first couple of episodes. And I think they direct the first couple episodes every season. That's the reason that that relationship works in the MCU is because a lot of it's Russo based. I think if you had them sort of take the take charge on Falcon and Winter Soldier, I think you could get a really great, you know, whip, whip smart comedy. Yeah, I too think that if, falcon and the winter soldier was a completely different premise and a completely different genre it could be a good show too it doesn't it doesn't have to be a different genre it doesn't it can be an action comedy but like tilting one way a little more than the other right i would love to see i i would watch like a buddy cop yeah i would watch a buddy cop action comedy like i think i think any show with that with those wings that we're supposed to believe can help someone fly that has to be a comedy like that's just a ridiculous visual to to take seriously so i yeah they should have tried a little child. Maybe they will. you are like a little child millions of screens in the production of the penske media corporation IndieWire. our theme music features excerpts of the classic youtube video bjork talking about our tv and willie wonk in the joppa factory our editor-in-chief is dana harris brightson our publisher is james israel and our executive editor is ann donahue our favorite Happy Endings guest stars who we'd like to see bantering stormtroopers are Michael McKean, Max Greenfield, and June Diane Raphael. Millions of Screens endorses Ted Lasso playing a stormtrooper. Well, we want to see them not... We don't want to see them on Mandalorian. We want to see them on Fal- Falcon and Winter Soldier. They got to be uh, members of HYDRA. I didn't under... I couldn't have possibly remembered <laughs> what HYDRA was called or that there would be an opportunity there but yes that would work as well you can find us on twitter at a million screens at midwest Sitfire, ben t travers and at lee Regan garcia you can find us on apple Podcasts, spotify google play so leave a review and let us know what you think if it's good we might read it on the air this is ben libby and leo reminding you as always and for the last time in 2020 that you shouldn't oh, let yeah, poet fly should, to you we should tell them we're not coming back oh yeah next week, probably. we won't be here next week <laughs> you can Hopefully come you we won't to the be end. here yeah we'll still be here You shouldn't let poets lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. (laughs) It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.